0: Welcome to Construction Cashflow. I'm your host, Stu Davidson, and if you haven't already done so, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.
1: Oh, we don't do any of that. We, we don't need any contracts. You know, everything's kind of a spit in a handshake. Well, they're subbies. They don't need that paperwork. No, they do. They, they absolutely do. People think if you've got a, a CIS card then you're automatically self-employed and there's no need to have a contract and that's absolutely not true just because someone says they're a sub or they uh, say they're a sole trader that doesn't mean you're self-employed if you've got nothing written anywhere A judge would make a decision, and they'll make a decision based on your actions. So the first error that I see when people don't have contracts, and they should have contracts, whether you're self-employing somebody, whether you've got them on a zero-hours contract, whether you're employing them, you always need to have something. And whatever you don't have is open for interpretation, and that's where you get all your issues. He's broken his leg. Uh, He's worked with me for a while, so I'm going to give him pay for the next four weeks. You've just treated this person like an employee, and guess what? you made them an employee. You don't employ self-employed people. You engage self-employed people, or you appoint self-employed people. Using that word employ, if that went to an employment tribunal, if you come up more employed than not then you've employed that person. And if your intention is not to employ, that you don't ever do it accidentally. You want to make sure they're not stealing your client, they're not going behind your back doing it cheaper, or they're not coaching your subbies or your employees. And that happens quite a bit, you know, someone offers to pay a pound more. Have something in place and make it quite clear. I expect you to work Monday, and if you don't, these are the consequences. Be really clear and firm. So it's about attracting the people that have the same values as you.
0: In this show, we ask our guests to tell us their story, tell us a little bit about their background, how they got to where they are today, how they developed their product, their services, their ideas, and we discuss how that can affect construction cash flow and other areas of construction and also to give us an idea of how we might make things better and give you a few tips and ideas to take away with you and listen to the end where you'll find out more about them more about our guests, about what motivates them, what inspires them and hopefully that'll inspire you too and always, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode in this episode I have the pleasure of introducing you to Gemma Fairclough Haynes Gemma is the CEO of Orchard Employment Law she regularly co-hosts the business radio show Business Bunker Extra and speaks nationally on employment law issues She also provides her expert opinion to the media including the Daily Mail, BBC Radio Kent and KMTV. She's a positive role model for Black, Asian and ethnic minority women. She also raises awareness around dementia and supports young enterprise giving students the opportunity to gain work experience. So it's without further ado, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Gemma Fairclough Haynes. Welcome to the show, Gemma, and how are you doing today? Well,
1: thanks very much for inviting me on to do it. I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: So, Gemma, tell us about your story and how you got to where you are now.
1: Gladly. My story, I guess, like most business owners, is a little bit unconventional in that I had never planned to be in business, so I don't come from a background where I knew lots of entrepreneurs or business people growing up, and it kind of really wasn't wasn't our way, but I worked for another organisation which also does employment law, and at the time I worked from home, which was fantastic, because before working from home was a thing, and um, it worked very well with my family situation. I also knew, you know, I'd learned from a very early age from my parents that you treat everybody with dignity and respect, and that really served me. So often, you know, we'd have employment advocate law advocates who would treat the clerks a little bit rubbish, and I understood that the clerks were the bosses really. The administrators were your, really your boss, you know what I mean, yeah, you might say your name at the top of the paper, but they're the ones
0: in control. Uh, You know,
1: so um, I had a really good relationship with our clerk who would allocate where I would be in terms of representing employers in tribunals. And he knew that at the time I had a young child, a young baby when I started this job. And he knew that I really tried to get places where I didn't have to stay overnight so I could go and visit a client or represent a client in a tribunal in a day, there a day in the back, back and go the next day. And because we had a good relationship and because I treated him well he treated me well and things were going brilliant that was fine for a couple of years but after a couple of years I became more experienced at knowing about employment law and so those more complex cases that businesses would have they'd be like oh you know but this one's a three-day case in Wales and really Gemma's the best person for the job and I understood that it was coming from a good place because we had such a good relationship so you know when mike would say i have to send you that was fine and i could kind of just enjoy a hotel breakfast and working (laughs) the joys of working away from home every now and then um the business that i was working for actually grew and changed quite a lot in that short place of period of time whilst i was there and um, on one occasion, my big boss, he wasn't that big in stature, but my big boss, <laughs> uh, as in another organizational chart, he gave me a call and he said, oh, Gemma, we're going to have to make some redundancies. And I thought, oh, no, you know, I've been made redundant once before. So I was quite worried. I didn't didn't have savings. I didn't have that buffer. And he said to me, well, you won't be made redundant. I said, OK. He says, but I have to tell you because I'm going to put you at risk just because you're in that. It was the same job as others who might be. I was a bit scared, so I contacted somebody who I'd contacted previously, applied for a job years ago, and said, um, you didn't give me a job years ago because I didn't have any experience. Now I've got a bit of an experience. Do you think you'll have a job for me? And I got this um, email saying, the person who you're contacting has now left the business, the business had been sold. Why don't you come in and have a chat with me, an exploratory chat? So I thought, I don't know what one of those is. I ended up to have a chat with this guy. It turns out the a Chat was an interview. Uh, and he said to me, he's just not really good at selling. He Like Your CV is rubbish. <laughs> fine, thanks. And then he said, Have you ever thought about setting up your own business? And I just thought, If you don't want to give me the job, it's fine. I'm a big girl, I can take it, you know? And he said, No, seriously, I'll rewrite the CV for you. I don't think you're the right person um, for this job. And he said one of the reasons is when he asked me, "Well, how we bring more business in?" I went, "I don't know. I've never, I've never done that before. I just do the work." Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't get that job. Uh, he did rewrite my CV. My previous CV was rubbish because the thing he gave me back actually was much better. And I just thought, "Well, I'll wait and see what happens." And I wasn't made redundant. You know, true to their word. Anyway, the next year came. Everything was fine. Uh, they had made some people redundant. So then instead of going to Wales for three days, I'd find myself in Scotland for five days because they'd gotten rid of some of the other people who could have done these jobs and all the while I'm getting better and more experienced at representing employers. So um, it was getting a bit tricky, but I would have stayed there. It still felt like a good life, you know, company, car, work from, from home when you, when you can. And I got another call about the same time the following year saying, Jen, we're making redundancies. And I was like, oh. He says, but you won't be made redundant. And I said, hmm. He says, but again, we've got to put you at risk. So I thought, oh, okay, fine. Well, i just started to learn about LinkedIn at that stage. And my LinkedIn profile was awful. I had no picture. I hadn't filled it out properly. All my clients... Um, uh, opponents would use it against me. They'd be like, oh, you're a person who's representing you's rubbish. I wasn't rubbish. I just didn't know how to sell myself. I had to build out this information on the LinkedIn properly. But I had connected with one guy who I'd beaten in tribunal one time, and because he said to me, connect with me on LinkedIn. And so he was my only connection. I just connected with him. So I thought I'll send him a message, remember him sent him a message. I said, Oh, hi, Tony. Do you remember me? I beat you. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, uh, he says, have you got any jobs going? And he said, no, but I could give you a platform to start on off on your own if you like. And I thought, no, I don't like, I want to know I'm getting paid on the 28th of each month. Thanks very much. But I did find it really strange that the second person, you know, in a row had said to me, why don't you start off on your own? Mm. so I just again hung in there thought let's see what happens and I wasn't made redundant anyway another year comes along again similar sort of time and in between that year a lot of changes had happened and because I'm getting busier I felt like it was more difficult for me to give my all to the clients I'm now going away for two weeks um, Northern Ireland, Manchester, Birmingham all over the, the, the shop and it really wasn't as conducive with family life. I mean, I'm still getting on really well with the clerk, and m- Mike, but this is the best that he can do. Anyway, uh, I got another call saying, making redundancies, but you won't be made redundant. What, mm, I don't know if that's true. So uh, this time around, they did things a bit differently. They must have got burned, their fingers burnt. And they said, this time around, we're gonna ask people to re-interview for their jobs. And i just thought but what i wonder what that would be like you know what how much voluntary i was just wondering so i sent an email asked the question how much is voluntary no answer sent another email with a read receipt how much is voluntary read delivered and read no answer so i thought okay i'll wait till the interview so i have the interview they asked me the questions it's all wink wink nudge nudge you the right answers and at the end of every interview they always ask you the same question which is have you got any questions so I said yeah how much is voluntary and honestly Stu I was only asking which I was just asking and they said well you don't need to know and I said well you do need to know because if it's a genuine redundancy legally speaking if you're not just trying to get any your troublemakers, you should at least consider uh, voluntary redundancy and the mood in the room just changed and he said how much do you want now, at that time, I'd forgotten all of my training. I do this for a living, you know, draft up settlement agreements and work out how much employees are entitled to and what they're worth. I completely forgot. And then silliest figure. And they just said, you need to be gone within 10 days. Oh, my goodness. This really wasn't my plan. So i was like, oh, okay. So in 10 days, my life changed. Um, and I started to think about those other two people who I'd met. said well why don't you just set up on your own and my answer of no had always really been about job security and then i thought well if i'm at risk of redundancy every year where's the security so uh i just thought well let's give it a try my plan was, i'll try it for a year i'll try it for 12 months i'll see what happens uh took me six months to get my first client but after that things gradually started to get better started working from home working with businesses advising them on employment law and hr and it, it was quite hard to get clients initially because people don't know you so there's there's not that known like trust and i didn't know anything about business i didn't understand sales and marketing and all these other things but over time i got better and better i did some networking and you know i learned that quite good at speaking evidently so I did a couple of 10 minute presentations and that would bring me uh, business in and and essentially eight years later I'm still here <laughs> hey.
0: uh,
1: and the business okay. has grown yeah business has grown to so now you we're a team of six people we're in an office not that that means that you're successful or not that you have an office especially not these days but um I'm pleased to say we're working with business of all shapes and sizes and the great thing is when I first left that my old employer, I was like, oh, I'm going to be just like you, but better. And now I'm nothing like them, but better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of course. course. Like, yeah, because you learn to do things your way. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it, Steve.
0: How fascinating. And the journey is amazing that you've gone from one redundancy to another. And it may be that those people saw something in you that could go out on your own. And you've got that confidence and it's nice that you've allowed the universe to come in and you've you've kind of flourished in in other talents that you had and maybe wouldn't have normally exercised like the public speaking, Mm -hmm. going in business, growing your business. And so in your business, what do you think the biggest lesson for you was in growing your business? What did you have to find out to, 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 to get it going?
1: Well, I had to find out everything. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I really had to learn to ask questions and not to be afraid to ask questions. I'm not an expert in everything. In, in, in There are lots of things I'm not an expert in. So I really had to learn about how to sell myself. Even when we think about that um, initial going for interviews and being told, well, your CV's not very good. But having spoken to you, you've got a lot more to offer so this guy who i didn't know redrafted my cb based on a conversation that i'd had with him Um, and i think i carried that into business initially i was a little bit shy i didn't want to toot my own horn too much Um, you know a bit concerned about what people think Um, and so i had to learn that all from from the get-go really
0: yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And and I think as entrepreneurs, we'll we'll go through that. I mean, I've gone through that. You know how how do you how do you sell yourself? How do you how do you market product, services, and ideas? And it's a it's a it's a difficult one. You kind of grow into it, and eventually, it becomes part of who you are, doesn't it?
1: I was one of the most annoying. I think. Oh gosh, if I'd met myself in year one, <laughs> um, because I. I remember one of my, she's my friend now, uh, Manjit, we met at a networking event and I just thought you went around hand- shoving business cards in people's faces. I didn't realise there was relationships that needed to be built and she was one of these people, like my, it's literally my box of business cards and she was one of the ones that I shoved it under her nose and she went, um, you've not even asked me my name or asked me what I do, you've, you've not even tried to get to know me and I was like, oh. Uh, sorry uh, but that was good it was good that she stopped mm. me in my chat didn't hold it against me and tell me that I was a bit obnoxious and um, but I learned you know I'm not like that anymore you'd be pleased to know.
0: No <laughs> hey, fantastic no you, you're very very approachable and somebody is easy to talk to so you're growing your business and so you're employing you've got em- employees now yourself
1: yeah i've got employees and associates so it's a hybrid model um we have employees in the office um executive assistant i've got um someone who does our hr advice because we offer retained um services and i've realized quite quickly that i don't need to do all of that there's also a letting go process that you have to learn in business isn't there whether that's your outsourcing or your insourcing eventually you have to let some things go. And so that was quite tricky <laughs> for me to learn. And then um, last year we were getting busier and busier. And so I started then to grow the business even further. And we took on three extra associates around the country so that because we serve people nationally and we've got two international clients so we're a global baby. And um, so because we serve people nationally, nationally, and although we can do things by teams, sometimes a face-to-face, you just can't replace it. So it was great to have people dotted around the country to do that.
0: What um, What type of clients do you generally work with?
1: Yeah, so we work with clients across industries, all sectors, you know, we work with clients in construction, in hospitality, in the public sector, in the private sector. Our smallest clients tend to have about five employees. We do do ad hoc work, especially if you're taking on your first employee, like a con. you want a contract or something. But we also work with clients that have got two and a half thousand employees. And it's quite interesting because, you know, it doesn't really matter whether a business has been going for two years or 40 years. A lot of their problems are still the same.
0: <laughs> you know? Very interesting. Yeah,
1: the amount of times I've gone to businesses that are 60 years old or they say hundreds of years old because it's been passed down through generations. And I start off with the okay, case so can I see your contracts are gone? Oh, we don't do any of that. We we don't need any contracts, you know. Everything's kind of a spit in a handshake. Well, they're subbies they don't need pay that paperwork. No, they do. They they absolutely do. So, uh, yeah, we come in and we sort things out. <laughs> hey,
0: well, very interesting you mentioned subbies because that leads me into my one of my questions I wanted to ask you about. There are some large companies out there that employ thousands of people but largely the people that construct and build things are subbies and they employ subbies yeah let's take an example of a bricklaying firm there'll be a subcontractor but all their bricklayers will be self-employed so and i would hazard a guess that most of them don't have a contract with their self-employed tradesmen yeah do you, do you see that a prob- Do you see that often in in, in the construction industry? Very sector? often,
1: yeah. And I, th- I think the thing is that people think if you've got a, a CIS card, then you're automatically self-employed, and there's no need to have a contract. And that's absolutely not true. Um, just because someone says they're a subby or they uh, say they're a sole trader, or even if they've got um that you know that utr number that you get from the tax your t- unique yep. tax number that doesn't mean you're self-employed it might do for tax purposes but it doesn't always mean that for employment law purposes and actually if you've got nothing written anywhere then if it push push came to shut a judge would make a decision and they'll make a decision based on your actions so the first error that I see when people don't have contracts and they should have contracts whether you're self-employing somebody whether you've got them on a zero hours contract whether you're employing them you always need to have something and it doesn't have to be 20 pages long I think that that's the thing that scares people it doesn't have to be 20 pages long it doesn't have to be something people don't understand it doesn't have to use super big words and um, it can ju- it can be in an email it doesn't have to be it doesn't even have to be on paper Um, but you do have to have some, you should have something because Mm -hmm. whatever you don't have is open for interpretation and that's where you get all your issues. Um, So that's the first thing is not having anything in in writing. And then the second thing is either having something in writing and ignoring it. (laughs) So, you know, we talk about those smaller businesses where they build relationships with these tradesmen. And so they'll be like, you're self-employed, Um, so you're not entitled to sick pay and holiday pay but he's broken his leg he's worked with me for a while so I'm going to give him pay for the next four weeks you've just treated this person like an employee and guess what you made them an employee
0: Mm.
1: so um, and it's because it comes from a good place most of the times you know what I mean So that's one of the things that is a problem and then also it's about language so like you just said they employ subbies you don't employ subbies and employ self-employed people you engage self-employed people or you appoint self-employed people so using that word employ if that went to an employment tribunal when they start looking at all of these it's not that alone won't tip it over the edge but when they start looking at all of these different things together And they do a test based on seven things if you come up more employed than not then you've employed that person and and then you're liable for all things such as you didn't have a contract you didn't give them holiday pay you you might not treat them the way they should have done so i would say just take the advice first so at least if your intention is not to employ that you don't ever do it accidentally
0: that's really amazing fantastic advice and there's me using that Uh, language and and we all do it you know and we don't really give it give it much thought so with the contract that a carpentry company an M&E company or a bricklaying company uh, might use to engage their subbies uh, (laughs) is it is it something so you know like the contracts that we have between the subcontractor and the contractor you know we, we feel that it needs to be like a project management tool where it's always open everybody needs to know what each clause understands and and what their what their rights and obligations are under that contract would that be ring true for the uh, contract that engages the carpenter and the bricklayer
1: yeah um, Keep things as simple as possible. So our motto is clear and uncomplicated. We'll never lose, use legal jargon unless we have to. What's the point? Nobody understands it. Most of it's Latin anyway. So if you want to use language that you understand, which is you'll turn up at this time. Um, if things go to pot, you're liable or I'm liable. Or I want you know if I'm not happy, I'll sever the contract with a week's notice or with 30 days. I mean, the thing you really want as well with tradespeople, is for them not to steal your and i don't mean tools and and like tangible things you want to make sure they're not stealing your client they're not going behind your back and doing it cheaper or they're not coaching your subbies or your employees and that happens quite a bit you know someone offers to pay a pound more uh, yeah and then you've got nothing to go back on because you've had nothing in writing that said so you can't do that in the first place. And you're relying on people's, you know, good nature and sometimes they don't have it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I know where you're coming from because I've, I've had it done to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I suppose a lot of people have. And I do know that it is on trust. It's, oh, I've got got my mates coming to, 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 to work with me you know and, yeah. and they don't actually and I see a lot from main contractors you know oh you haven't got enough blokes on site where's your blokes today they haven't turned up yeah. and there is a bit of a culture in certain areas where the guys want you can't get them in on a Monday you can't get them in on a Friday afternoon yeah you know and and you know I just hazard a guess that they probably haven't got the right contract in place or if they have they're not implementing it on an ongoing basis
1: that's exactly it as you say they either haven't got it in place or they're not implementing it um i see that like nine times out of ten to be honest with you to um have something in place and make it quite clear i expect you to work monday to, and if you don't these are the consequences you know whether that's well, we won't engage you anymore whether that will cause you a fine, if you delay our project, if you delay what we're doing, then that cost might be passed back on to you or some of that cost might be passed back on to you. Be, be really clear and firm. And the, the thing is, I think, with lots of businesses, they're scared that if they do these things, people won't want to come and work for them and then they won't be able to find anybody anyway. But actually, you find you get that mutual respect because you do things properly, so you pay on time, you know. <laughs> you. Yeah, exactly. Um, treat them well you let them start a certain time you finish on time and then you build that trust and respect and it's about like value systems isn't it so it's about attracting the people that have the same values as you um to work with you
0: that's a very good point i think same value systems and setting out what your values are what what your mission statement is so that everybody knows why they're there and yeah. what they're doing and yeah. and that they've got common goals yeah Uh, That's a very, very, very good point. One of the other things in terms of construction cash flow that I've been looking at and and, and discussing really with other other guests is how we might go to a direct payments approach. So it could be a developer direct payments Mm -hmm. down the line where the contracts essentially remain the same and the approvals for payment are made. But the payments are actually made direct to uh, the uh the subcontractor or the, mm. the the carpenter the bricklayer yeah you know which has its advantages i think it needs a change of culture and attitude mm. but it means that that you do would need in those circumstances you would need a a, a contract in place yeah and but but it does mean that the the subcontractor and the contractor haven't got to worry so much about robbing Peter to pay Paul for their 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 cash flow down the mm. supply chain. That that's taken care of, and so they can just use their expertise to build the thing and concentrate. Because because you know we're handling contractors and subcontractors handle uh, you know the 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 money that goes through their business eighty percent of it is other people's money. Yes, they're just passing it on. So, yeah. they're just passing it on. So, why give them the burden of passing yeah. on that? Like BATs, isn't it? You're just a glorified tax collector. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know another thing that I don't know whether you've seen this go on as well on, on sites. You've got Brick bricklaying firm. Uh, let's use bricklaying again. They may be on a, a 54 day payment, but the guys want paying every,
1: every week
0: every week oh, yeah. then they want a sub oh can you give me a sub to the weekend you know mm. so all of this going on and it plays havoc with cash flow and with contracts
1: yeah you've got to be really clear really clear and it is difficult i mean particularly in this industry as you say you might be on a 54 day payment but you might not get paid paid for 65 days so just because you've got these payment terms um you know with your whoever you've got your contract with unfortunately doesn't mean that they're going to pay on time either
0: Mm, um, exactly
1: yeah so it, it, that 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 is a challenge really but i think again it's about being realistic and setting that expectations and saying that this is what i'm working with this is how i can do it that you're on board with that or not you know i, I can't just provide you a for the weekend and i can't just switch to paying you for the week or giving you a top up in advance or it, that's not how this business works
0: exactly yeah so where could if if because there are subcontractors that listen into the podcast, yeah. uh, contractors and other professionals. Um, where could they? Because uh, I, I should imagine a lot of them are thinking, "Hmm, yeah, I haven't got those contracts in place. Where do I start?" Yeah, you know, how could they kind of contact you or get more advice around uh, around yeah. the contracts that um, need so, to put in place?
1: Um, really easily, you can contact us via our website, which is www .co.uk. There's a contact us form on there or if you fancy sending us an email, um, the email address is on there and the phone number as well. And it doesn't matter where you are in the UK, well, we, you know, we can do a lot of these things on, online or over the telephone. And um, Don't feel like you've got to use any special language, you know. So, yeah, just, just give us a call and ask how, how you do this and we'll, we'll help you with that.
0: That's fantastic. So maybe uh, a top tip for somebody who was a subcontract, had a small business, he's come off the tools, he's now running his business, he's got four or five, he engages four or five well done. Subcontractor, <laughs> uh, subcontractors for him. Where, what would be your top tip for him not knowing where to go? what would be his first step? Um,
1: so my top tip would be get the documentation in place, get get a contract in place. The good thing is you only need one, really. Once you've got one, and we would do that, and I imagine lots of other businesses do that, we give you one in a Word copy and a PDF. So you can then roll that out again and again and again and again. Stick to it, I know you said one top tip, but yeah, well, here we go. And I would say, uh, just from a business perspective, not from an employment law perspective, is try and come away from the tools it's easy to get drawn in, and make sure you're looking at the business. If you wanna say sustainable in that business, that you're looking at your cash flow, you're looking at your people management, you're looking at your marketing, really take that time. I, I try and take um, one, on so my Fridays, what well, I call my focus Fridays, I work from home on a Friday so that I can do that on the business stuff. Um, and it's tempting to just keep <laughs> on working in the business, but you really need to take it for off the pedal a little bit sometimes.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic advice, Uh, really is. So, Gemma, have you time for the quick fire round? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So, first question: How do you start your day? (laughs)
1: Oh, how do I start my day? Um, So. Uh, recently, I started drinking water, which doesn't sound like a big thing, but it's a big thing for me. So I start my day with a glass of water. I don't drink tea or coffee. I hope that doesn't put anybody off, but <laughs> I don't drink hot drinks. So I normally start with a glass of water. I come into work earlier than every, than my team members do because I like to look at what's going on for the day and prepare. And that, is just, that really gives me a good start. When are you most productive? In the evenings, funny enough actually i'm most productive in the evenings i think when i'm you know when i haven't got to do the in the business stuff uh, that's when i'm most productive or even if i'm being honest i'm most productive when i've had a break so uh it's tempting to keep on working all the time not not take a day's break not take a holiday but if i'm being truthful to myself i'm most productive when i've even had two days off like on a Monday, I love like Mondays, one of those strange people. Or if I've had a week's holiday, I come back like, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's something new happening in your life right now?
1: Right now, I have joined the gym. I am not a fitness person, but um, it's more out of necessity than wanting to. I decided, oh, it's getting a little bit difficult. You know, lifting those shopping bags is getting a bit hard. So I'm uh, going to the gym five times a week. Uh, which is a challenge.
0: <laughs> yeah. What, what does adventure look like to you?
1: Adventure is doing something that um, that pushes me, that leaves me a little bit nervous but a little bit excited. I'm a feet on the ground kind of person so you'll never see, see me scaling roofs um, but I'm always looking for that next challenge in other ways. So whether that's uh, talking to more people or trying a new skill, learning a new instrument. That's my idea of venture.
0: What thing would you love to do that might surprise your friends and family?
1: I'd love to do a lion walk, um, actually. So I've been seeing people doing that, walking with lions. So, providing the lions are not ill-treated and they're not, um, you know, ghost up, I'd love to do that. That will surprise my friends because I've had a lizard, well, my daughter's had a lizard for eight years and I've never held it. But I want to walk with lions.
0: (laughs) Name a challenge you overcame that changed your life.
1: Probably the business, I have to say. I overcame that challenge. Putting myself out there, that changed my life. I think it is one of the best decisions I've ever made.
0: Who or what inspires and motivates you?
1: Hmm. Um, I read a lot. I do a lot of reading. So I wouldn't say there's any one person, but I love an autobiography. Um, and I think when I read those autobiography, tonight, I almost live those challenges and overcoming through those stories that really inspires me.
0: What does success mean to you?
1: So it, it means being better than I was yesterday. I'm one of those people that I don't have a goals. new um, World domination would be nice. But as long as I'm better than yesterday, I feel that I have a
0: And final question. What advice would you give to your young self?
1: My advice would be to keep going, Go. It's going to
0: be okay. Hey, amazing. <laughs> well, Gemma, it's been an amazing interview. I really enjoyed it. Some real golden nuggets in there, particularly the strong advice on engaging subcontractors. Been amazing. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Construction Cashflow. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already done so, so you never miss an episode. And remember, the faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows. If you enjoy this episode and you love the show, please do give us your review.